Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Bobby Sheng, chairman at Bora Pharmaceuticals. Hey, Bobby, how are you doing? Good, Raman. How about yourself? I'm good. Welcome to the show. And, and at time of recording, it's uh, it's early morning in Boston, where I am, and uh, uh, evening time in in Taiwan, where where you you're based. So I'm very jealous that you've you've already reached your Friday night, and I'm just, you know just starting my day over here. <laughs> well, no, nothing better than to end my Friday night with conversation with you, Raman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And just to, so just to start off with, um, you know, it'd be great to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who you are, and and obviously about Bora as well, if they if they've never heard of you before. Sure, sure, great. So I'll, I'll just give you a little little up to, uh, background on on Bora myself. I'm the chairman and CEO of Bora Pharmaceuticals. We are a global CDMO based company in Taiwan. We service over about twenty countries. The majority of our customers being in the U.S., the United States, and uh, North America. Bora is Taiwan's largest CDMO, and we represent about 45% of Taiwan's finished dose formulas that are exported to the U.S. And uh, we just completed a transaction in uh, Canada that we're really excited about that allows us to have three sites uh, in over two continents. Bora is about 10 years old in, in Taiwan, and we're publicly traded on the Taiwan Stock Exchange. Awesome. And then and I'll circle back and ask about the kind of recent acquisition in Canada. But before I do that, I'd kind of like to rewind the clock slightly and, and you know, ask that you tell us a little bit about kind of how you ended up in the, in the pharmaceutical sector. And, and I know, Bobby, you've got quite an interesting kind of career background and, and you also went to school in California. So it'd be really interesting just to kind of talk through uh, that kind of journey into pharma. Yeah, well, if, if you can, can tell from my accent, I, I didn't grow up in, in Taiwan or, or any part of Asia. I've been told I have a, a California accent, which uh, I don't really know what, what that is, but, but people can, can somewhat tell. I was fortunate to grow up in, in, a, in a county called Orange County, which is uh, south of Los Angeles, and went to high school in, in Irvine, and then uh, was lucky enough when, when the UC system was very uh, lenient to, to local state uh, high school students, I was accepted to UC Berkeley. Go Bears! <laughs> I went there for, for four years before uh, I, I started my career. So so a little bit of background on my career. Uh, actually, I started my career when I was 14. Right. I, I got the uh, entrepreneurial bug when I started selling candy to, to my freshman uh, classmates in high school. And I was just amazed that I could buy something for 25 cents and sell it for 75. And people would pay for it and I would make them happy. <laughs> and the the bug got into me. Uh, the The fascination with just arbitrage was, was just really, really interesting, and supply and demand and all those factors. So, so that took that that kind of bug took me into um, my college years. And and at twenty, you know, I was really planning my my illustrious uh, campaign to start up and be leading the internet revolution in the Bay Area. Um, I think it was around nineteen ninety two, and uh, Yahoo wasn't even started yet. And so I was in the in the grasp of leading that charge. Fortunately, though, uh, my my father fell ill in, in, at that time and passed away in '92. Fortunately for for Jerry Yang and and everybody else on that made the internet boom, I had to go back to Taiwan. And, and your father for, was sorry. Your father was in Taiwan at the time. Yes, yes, he okay. he was in Taiwan at the time. He has a pharmaceutical company uh, in Taiwan uh, called Hoan Pharmaceuticals, which was in licensing 
and distributing uh, pharmaceuticals within Taiwan. It was pretty traumatic at the time. I was, I was, you know, I had, I finished my my university and was basically reviewing and, and semi running the company from uh, as a student in Berkeley uh, along with my sister. We, you know, barely managed to to get past that stage, and I was able to fly back to Taiwan um, as soon as I graduated. And it was pretty traumatic. However, we were, we were very fortunate. We had uh, great planners. We had great management team that was already in place. Uh, the senior management team was uh, very well trained by by my father, and we were able to manage the company from a, a board position. I think if we were to really run the company, we would have ran to the ground at, at, <laughs> at that age, knowing nothing about pharmaceuticals. But I was lucky enough to um, start out at the warehouse, um, work my way into sales, regional sales manager, VP of sales, VP of sales and marketing, and then uh, CEO. And was able to, although very fast paced, uh, but I was able to have an understanding of a lot of the aspects of the uh, pharma industry through that. Very good. And and how was the kind of how were you viewed by your your kind of counterpart in the business, knowing that you were obviously uh, you know the, the son of the, the original owner? Was there a sense of? I mean, obviously, it's a very respectful culture in Taiwan, anyway. But just curious to know how how you were viewed by everyone else. I think it was a difficult time. Definitely, you know, we had a lot of senior staff on on the the team, and they were very worried about the future of the company. They were very worried about how we were going to run it. They were very um, uncertainty was was in the air. So it was really my first experience dealing with coming into a company with a lot of uncertainty, and definitely helped me in my future M and A acquisitions. But definitely very uh, traumatic at the time. Uh, I will say I had some really good guidance, really good mentors at the same time, also dealt with a lot of uh, criticism. So I think it was even even keel. I don't want to say too much about what what any, you know, senior level management team will view a 22-year-old kid coming into a farm industry, which you know, ramen is a, is a very specialized industry um, and, and takes a lot of academia and education. Uh, so there are a lot of very highly talented people, very smart and intelligent people in, in the industry. So, um, you know, we took it in stride and I was very, very fortunate to have a lot of uh, guidance and, and mentors along the way. And, and, and Bobby, were you, were you physically, had you moved back to Taiwan at this point in your life or were you still living in California at the time? Well, I had two years in California when he, when my father passed away, but I had just to finish up schooling. So yeah, I had moved back to Taiwan, um, at that time. Okay. Okay. And then I, I'm going to kind of sidestep slightly because, uh, you know, a little bird tells me, you know, during your career progression you you ended up in the kind of rap music and and movie producing game and research that i've done tells me that you produced nine or you involved in producing nine movies in in hollywood um so i'd I'd love to talk about that a little bit more and and just get a kind of some insight into what that was like uh, what was that was like but also you know what what those days and that experience has brought into you know your current role of of running a, a global pharmaceutical company well, it's funny you mentioned that, Raman. Um, you know, uh, having a father pass away definitely you, you lose a um, guiding figure, a guiding light, so to speak, in your life. At the same time, you you have the freedom to kind of make your own mistakes and and set your bucket list and and, and do whatever you want. And so, you know, one of the, especially one of the things my I was fortunate to spend a lot of time with my father before he passed away. And, and you know, one of the, his his comments was always, "If you want to do something, do it now. Don't wait." So. You know, as soon as the company was stable and I was I was um, very familiar with the CEO position at, at Hoan, 
um, I wanted to sort of satisfy my entrepreneurial bug again. And I started actually a lot of companies. I started about uh, seven companies total. I started a healthcare company, which became the largest seller of Kiehl's. I don't know if the audience is familiar with yeah. Kiehl products. Uh, I was their largest it's why, seller it's, outside of It's me. why I'm so young. It's why I look so young, you see, Bobby, because I use Kiehl's. <laughs> I, I use the face cream every day. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the sales of Kiehl's is going to drop after you just said that. <laughs> Sorry, uh, for, for the for the viewers that that or for the listeners that that haven't seen Raman, he's a he's a very studly looking guy. We're just <laughs> around. So so no, we were we were we were the largest seller of Kiehl's products uh, outside of the U.S. When when then we sold to L'Oreal. I co-founded and, and co-invested in a lot of tech companies, media companies, and, and restaurants. So this is sort of when you when you can you know find out uh, dig, dig a little deeper into my past. You know, dig too far is that um you know I had a a very good experience in the uh, entertainment field. And we actually started the first, uh, one of the co-founders of the um, first film fund that was based out of Taiwan. And we were fortunate enough to uh, produce about nine movies, I think, I think total. And it was a great time. Uh, like I said, you know, if, if I could recommend any of the listeners, you know, really get your bucket list and, and really do what you want to do. I, I, I have a, I have a very creative side of me that, that you know, like anything from music to literature to, to, to film, so I was lucky to have the time and, and the financial wherewithal to actually do that. And I learned a lot, uh, learned, learned a lot. That's what Raman, you're asking some of the experiences I've had. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, when you, when you're doing film, it's, it's every film is starting, like it's starting a new company. So you're, you're putting together 300, 400 people from all over the world to work on something for three to six months. So it's definitely, and then everybody goes away. So you're starting something new every 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 time you start a, a film. So it's really, you know, initially it taught me a lot about project management, planning, getting people involved and setting a clear goal and diligently, you know, tracking those those metrics and, and achieving that goal. So you have to be a very, very, very strong project manager to produce film. And so that's probably number one. Secondly, it really taught a lot, taught me a lot about um, bringing people together and, and teamwork and leadership. So um, you're bringing all these people that don't really know anybody and they're very highly skilled. Most mm -hmm. of them have, have some, some different types of egos from various educational backgrounds as well. And you got to put them all together, um, all aligned uh, to do one thing and uh, to execute every day because you do have a ticking clock. Uh, so it, it taught me a lot about, you know, checking my ego at the door, working as a team and making sacrifices for attaining that goal and also communicating to, to everyone going on every day and just keeping everybody very f clearly focused on what needs to be done today mm -hmm. and what needs to be done every day and then the, the what the final result will be it's it's a it's an industry that that really teaches you how to deal with failure i would say that's probably what what i walked away with that's um the most ingrained into me is how to deal with failure because i had a lot of bombs <laughs> losing millions and millions of dollars and you know that from day one the, the yeah. day one as soon as the the box office opens, you, you're good. There's an algorithm that calculates how much you're going to probably make for that film or how much you're going to lose. And, and, uh, we had some real serious bombs and they're very public. So it taught me how to deal with failure, um, and keep on looking forward, have positive attitude, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just, just charge forward and, and look for the next thing that's coming in. That's going to be great. That's fascinating. I mean, I was just jotting down some things that you were talking about there in terms of, you know, project management and planning and leadership and, you know, it, a lot of what you probably learned in that that phase of your career has actually set you up to become, I suppose, the leader that you've become 
at Bora today and some of those kind of early skills that you developed. And so on, on that topic around leadership, just because I think we could spend all day talking about your kind of Hollywood experience because it's just fascinating. But in terms of <laughs> in terms of leadership specifically and, you know, what, you know, what piece of advice would you have for, you know, other leaders or young leaders that are developing, you know, <clears throat> particularly in the, in the pharmaceutical career space, you know, what lessons have you learned about leadership that, uh, that you'd like to share with 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 the listeners. Well, yeah, thank you. You know that that was a was, you know I had a, a very steep learning curve of that experience, and it was a very short short period of my life. But I definitely learned a lot being in the pharma space a, a lot more. For I think if you add in beginning and end, probably uh, almost up to twenty years of, of pharma experience now. But I wouldn't say I have something to teach. You know, there's a lot of great leaders in our industry. There's a lot of very intelligent leaders running much bigger companies than mine. So, so I don't know if I, I can, I can teach them too much, but, but, you know, that's what I've noticed. Uh, if, if for people that are in the industry, it's, it's a very small group of people in a very large industry. So the amount of um, dollar amounts that are, that are being talked about, it's, it's a very small group of people. So I think you got to focus on your people skills. It's, it's still relatively a people-based industry. So like, like Ram and yourself, you know, you spend a lot of time just um, getting to know people, understanding mm-hmm. people and um, people will, will get you to, to where you need to be in, the, in this industry. It's highly, highly technical. So, so you need to know what the, the trends are and you got to keep up with the trends. So there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of um, constant lifelong education, lifelong learning. So, mm-hmm. so always be up to speed on um, what, what the next thing is, because as leaders, if you, if you talk about, you know, what, what a leader is supposed to do, they're, they're always focusing on what the next trend is. Well, they all, I always say, we always talk in terms of the next five years, what's yeah, going on yeah, next yeah. Five years as, as a leader. Another it's thing just for, for people in the space, you know, quote, quote, a, a book that, that I, I read uh, a lot. I think I read it once every three years, a, a book by uh, Jim Collins called uh, from good to great. It, it has this sort of get in your wheelhouse where, you know, if you can have these three things, right. And the three things are, if you're passionate about it and you're good at it and you can make money with it, that's that's what you need to focus on and and what you're what you do has to be really has to have those three factors if you want to be if you want to be a great company um and i won't talk too much about the book but the book you know, is, is a very very interesting read uh, but if you have those three things and those three elements just focus like hell on it and hopefully you'll get to scale and then you'll just become a, a great leader in a great company finally i think just um getting the right people on your team leaders leaders should always spend at least one third of their time evaluating people. Do I have the right people on the bus? Are they qualified to, to get me to where I need to be? Are they are they going to be able to achieve the, the goals that we've set out as a team for the company? Are they are they in line with your your corporate culture? Are they are they uh, multipliers? You know, are they are they guys that will will help other people excel? So these are the kind of questions you have to ask if you have have the right people on on your team as well. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's, that's about it for as far as advice to leaders. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that leaders should do, uh, but this may, may not be, be the call for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I did jot down when you were, when you were talking there, the, the Jim Collins book. And, um, I think what you, we talked about, I think it, from memory was the, the hedgehog concept yep, of the, hedgehog those concept, kind of exactly. the, the three different factors. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a, for any listener that hasn't read that book, it's uh, it's an excellent read um, and gives you a real insight into some kind of kind of key focus areas for businesses. Um, so certainly certainly recommended it. You are listening to Molecule to Market, 
where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I just want to touch back on something. So when you when you talked about your kind of career in, in Hollywood and, and then you said Bora was set up 10 years ago, can you kind of talk through that transition of when you went from kind of California back to Taiwan and, and decided to set up Bora? What what did that process look like and you know how did that come about? Well, I think it, it really goes back to the book. I evaluated myself and I said, you know, what what am I passionate about? Right. And and I and I, I still always I still always very passionate about helping people's lives. I was I think I was the most gratified, I was most I was happiest when when I was, you know, in the hospitals. Although I was only on the sales side, but you see patients getting better, you, you realize you're contributing to better health for people and, and you're contributing to their lives and you're saving yes. lives if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're lucky enough to be in that position. But you're not a doctor, so obviously the doctors do a lot more than, than we do, but we're contributing. We're, we're, we're part of that supply chain that really is improving health. I always liked it. And so, you know, kind of reviewing where I was at that at that moment, I said, you know, that's that's really where I need to be is, is, is in the healthcare uh, space. And then, and then it was like, what, what am I good at, or what can I be good at uh, with with my skill sets and, and my location and and my resources? And being in Taiwan, we're just really good at manufacturing, and uh, you know, from from all the way from semiconductors to textiles to everything, you know, everything is 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 made better, faster, cheaper in Taiwan. Uh, so I just felt like, well, you know, what what is what is my advantage? And I said, well, I have a location advantage in Taiwan. Is that you know, the mentality and the culture of, of the people here are just, you know, contract manufacturing, but making it better and uh, being able to export all over the world. So I figured, okay, I could, I could be really good at this. I could be the best at it. Right. And then also, you know, th- did it, did, was it, would it, would it be financially uh, sound and, and would it, would it be profitable? Um, and, and the metrics were there and this is a growing industry. Um, it's, it's a healthy industry, albeit there's, there's some big hits in the, in the generic sector. Uh, but it is, a, it is a healthy industry with brands. And and I also saw just around that time in two, one, uh, 2008, 2009, there was just, I, I, I could see this um, explosive growth happening in, in treatment and drug development. And I just saw that that's really the the, the next thing that will need to happen is a high growth and, and, and new, uh, you know, a lot of new discoveries in the drug space. And with those new discoveries, there's going to require manufacturing. I knew at some point the industry was going to mature enough to where there's going to be a diversification or at least a separation of duties from R&D and manufacturing and, and marketing and sales. So I thought um, we would be, I want to be in the right position to actually be the in the manufacturing side of that supply chain when um, it gets more specialized. So I just thought the opportunity was there. And, and that's when um, you know, we decided to start Bora. Awesome. Very good. It's good. Thank you for sharing, sharing that story. And, and then kind of... Going back to something you said towards the the start of the interview, where you mentioned that you'd recently acquired a site in in North America, can you tell us a little bit more about that and 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 what it means means for Bora as a as a business? Yeah, so so you know, Bora grows our growth strategies grow organically and 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 inorganic as well. Um, we've been fortunate enough to acquire two other sites in the last five years from Big Pharma, and uh, they've been very successful acquisitions for us. And uh, we've we've developed a great team that is that's familiar to doing so. So you could say M and A is a, a large part of our growth, and c- will continue to be so. And in March this year, we were entered into an agreement with uh, GSK to acquire their Mississauga facility in Canada. 
so uh, it was a very detailed process, and, and GSK ran a very thorough process. And we were very fortunate enough to be um, chosen by them, and, and we got an agreement. Uh, we looked at about 20 uh, acquisitions a year, potential acquisitions, and uh, this one just had all the right elements for us. It's an amazing site, one of the largest in Canada. It's, it's got uh, large-scale uh, OSD, uh, semi-solids, and liquids capabilities. It's got uh, development capabilities. The facilities are extremely well-invested in and uh, well-maintained. But I think the most valuable part of the acquisition is, is the 400-some highly skilled uh, trained employees at the site. Uh, this, we always value the, the people, and we always actually look at the people more than we do the assets. And we think they're the most important part of a lot of the acquisitions we do. And they're, they're the reasons why we've succeeded. Is really We spend a lot of time evaluating the people that, that we bring into the, to the company as well. So, so you know, as we turn the site from a GSK facility to a CDMO facility, they uh, will be our uh, most competitive advantage that, that we'll have. Uh, and the Mississauga site will be flagship site for, for Bora and our headquarters for uh, future North America operations. And we also look to expand more from, from that site and, and you know, become uh, one of the, the leaders in, in the CDMO space, hopefully, with, with the right team and the right people uh, in place. I love that. I love what you said about the the people there. And I, you know, given given I run a people based business, I absolutely agree with everything that you said there around, you know, your people being your greatest asset. And it's an incredibly exciting time uh, for for you and and the rest of the team at, at Bora. And, and then just talking more generally about the sector, kind of the, the pharmaceutical supply chain, uh, and particularly, obviously, at the time of recording with um, kind of COVID kind of spreading and particularly the challenges over here in, in North America and um, what kind of trends or shifts or changes and, you know, what are you expecting COVID to do or, you know, if, or what impact, if any lasting impact are you, are you expecting to see uh, on the, on the supply chain? Well, I think uh, COVID is definitely, um, you know, setting up a paradigm shift for, for everybody in the, uh, in the sector uh, or everybody in every sector, probably. But how it affects us, I think it'll it'll definitely have every have the supply chain or or the people that are in charge of the supply chain will have to look at secondary sites. They'll have to look at alternatives, um, and we'll definitely we're getting a lot more inquiries for secondary sites. We're getting a lot more inquiries for different uh, types of manufacturing and other types of products that uh, probably weren't uh, looked to be produced at our site. And so I think that's, uh, it's opening up a lot of opportunities for us on a production standpoint. I think it's making people focus more on um, the assets that they have. So, um, you know, people aren't looking to build sites. They're definitely looking to partner up more. So we're getting a lot more different partnership requests as everybody's trying to maybe conserve cash and be more or less risk adverse, or sorry, more risk adverse with how they're spending their cash in the next 12 to uh, 24 months. Uh, you know, we do we do see some people um, onshoring or or evaluating onshoring uh, some products back into North America, so our Canadian acquisition really helps out in that extent. But that's that's kind of what we're seeing as far as uh, so far. I mean, it is it is really um, only two months into this um, outbreak. Yeah, and it, I mean, thanks for thanks for sharing your insights there. And actually, one thing I find I found quite fascinating, you know, when we when we spoke, for, you know previously was how Taiwan is dealing with with the COVID situation. And again, for for people that have never visited Taiwan or, you know, don't know much about it as a place, can you tell the, the listeners a little bit how Taiwan is dealing with COVID and, and how things are over there generally? 
Well, yeah, I think um, you know, ta- Taiwan has been extremely lucky, and, and well, I guess uh, you know you, some people def- uh, you would define luck as when preparedness meets opportunity, right? So we were very, very prepared. Uh, we were probably uh, the, the at the center of the uh, SARS epidemic before, so uh, we have experience in these 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 virus outbreaks. And as soon as we heard about, uh, as soon as the country Taiwan heard about the outbreak in Wuhan, um, immediately. We, you know, started talking about the news. Started talking about everybody wearing masks and and and, and keeping your hands clean. Um, the government immediately implemented some uh, strict travel restrictions and a lot of uh, testing at the airports. So um, we, we 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 you know it's an island too, so it's a little easier for us. I, I really I really don't want to say I really don't want to toot the horn of Taiwan too much because I think geographically and the way we're set up as an island, we we ha- we can funnel visitors through a little easier. And so we were able to test everybody entering into the country uh, that had certain indicator uh, symptoms. So I think we, we caught early. We um, educated the citizens uh, very fast. The health minister has a daily two o'clock update on the clock every day at two o'clock, seven days a week on everything that's happening and any new new patients that, that have new indications of, of the COVID-19. And so um, we haven't had a new case in the last six days, uh, so we think we're at the tail end of it. But I will say that as 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 a culture, we we're more familiar wearing masks. We're more familiar with you know, sanitization. We're we're less physical culture. So I think all that really lent to to it not breaking out as fast. So we lined a lot of things, and like I said, we, we can share the experience. Um, Taiwan is definitely willing to share, but. I, I don't want to say that 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 we were um, excelled over anybody else. I just think all those factors came into to uh, having us be in this particular situation. But uh, luckily, we are going to work, and uh, all the all the restaurants are open. We're we're not quarantined the house, but there are sort of strict quarantine restrictions for for people that have flown into Taiwan. Mm-hmm. We also have very strict travel restrictions, so there's not a lot of flights. Uh, but in the beginning. Um, anybody that that flew into Taiwan um, starting a certain date would have to quarantine themselves at home for 14 days, and it is a very detailed quarantine where they're calling the the go- somebody from the government's calling your house every day, making sure you're there, you're, you're traceable by by phone, and so uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a very good combination of of what the government did, um, at, at the timing they did it, how they communicate with with the uh, citizens of Taiwan, and how the citizens reacted. So I think it's a we've, we've been very fortunate to be in this position. And, and, and the reason I asked is that I just think it's quite fascinating for, for many of us kind of in the Western world and, you know, certainly myself, I see what's happening in, in Europe and, you know, particularly the UK, but also, you know, where I'm based in, in North America. And, I, you know, when this hopefully calms down and life moves on, I suspect there's going to be some really interesting uh, reviews and analysis of how different cultures and different countries dealt with COVID. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's really interesting for myself but also the listeners just to to see how different parts of the world are, are, are dealing with this and I'm conscious that you are a, a very busy man and you know it's your Friday night so I've got just a couple of final questions to ask you um, no just a, 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 first of all, I, I wanted to ask you is you know how would your best friend describe you in three words uh focused persistent and lucky <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah, the lucky I'll one. Top my head. Lucky, yeah. <laughs> Very lucky. That's great. And and you know, is, is if there was one, if there was one change you could make 
to the sector that we operate in. So, you know, globally, and it was interesting what you meant, what you talked about before with respect to some of the paradigm shifts that you're seeing with uh, more partnerships and more collaborations. And maybe that's, that's actually what you may say. And, but I'm just curious to know kind of if, you know, based on your kind of 20 years experience of the sector, if there was one change the sector could kind of make, you know, what, what would it be? Well, I actually, I think that, I think the industry, as far as the supply chain of pharma is very collaborative. So, so that's actually something I see that we're always um, talking with other, even competitors at times to say, Hey, what can we work on this together? Do you have this? Do we have that? So I think we're highly collaborative because it is a, we're in a healthy sector and it's not a very, it's not, I would consider a dog eat dog kind of a, a, of a condition that we're in. However, mm-hmm. I think, you know, being in, in Taiwan, we, we see how the tech companies, especially hardware companies operate. I, I do think the pharma production industry can ad- adopt a lot more efficiencies and technology in our production process. Um, I know we're highly regulated, but but we, we use sort of an archaic batch production type of a system. And, and we're, we, we're moving really slow to, to, to a continuous production uh, environment. Uh, and I think that's really slowing down the, the efficiency and the, and, and the pr- productivity of our industry. Um, on the production side. Um, I think there's still a very high degree of manual labor involved in the drug manufacturing process. Uh, so so I'm, I'm heavily invested in, in trying to improve our efficiencies through technology. I'm looking, you know, we have a lot of internal projects that we run a lot all, all the time to show to the, to the health officials to see how we can do it better. Um, I, I think we can, we can learn a lot from the operational efficiencies and a lot of technologies that are, that are in the um, IT hardware space because it's, it's much more competitive. And you, you'll notice that that once things get competitive, people get smart and get efficient and start using technologies. So I, I just think there's a lot of room for that. And that's one change that I, I would probably recommend or we actually we're, we are making for us as a company in the sector. That's great. I think that's a, it's a great great point to make and and finally do you, do you have any comments or requests for the for the listeners of the podcast uh comments or requests no i think you know um sort of sort of share share my principles you know i i i believe in a work-life balance so so listeners out there you know uh through this covid crisis keep a good balance keep a, a good head on your shoulders um i i know our industry is very tough sometimes and there's a Latin saying called mensana and corpore sano, which is a healthy mind and a healthy body. Mm-hmm. So keep your body healthy. I know, I know, Raman, you're you're an avid runner. Uh, <laughs> I, I do I do triathlons. So uh, I think I think staying healthy and staying fit, even in under quarantine in your house. Yeah, I think that's something I would I would uh, highly recommend. And what a great time to read. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you, you know, I'm an avid reader of many things. So. Uh, you know what a great time to, to read. I, I, I read. I, I'm you know I've read probably every management book ever ever worth reading, uh, and so so you know what a great time to catch up on those again. Learn you know learn more, and so that's sort of the two things that I would uh, try to tell the readers or tell sorry tell the listeners of this uh, podcast. I mean that's a that's a great place to end, and I have to say I mean I absolutely agree with both of your final points. You know uh, one of the reasons that I started this podcast was that kind of desire for continuous development and learning both for myself you know every time I speak to someone like you you know yourself I've been jotting down notes because I'm learning having a conversation with you but it's also kind of insights and learnings that I want to share for you know for other people kind of in the industry and uh, yeah you know even that I'm a big big runner and you know big fan of keeping healthy and I think 
you know, even this morning, you know, the rain is pouring in Boston. I managed to get out and do a couple of miles as hard as that was. It just set me up and I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling much better about the day and, you know, otherwise the day passes and you just end up working every hour God sends and, uh, you know, and don't look after your body. So I think it's a great piece of advice to end with. And so Bobby, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I mean, you are, you know, the CEO and chairman of a listed company and a very uh, busy and in-demand guy. And so I massively appreciate uh, the time you've taken to come on to Molecule to Market. Well, if, if Raman calls, you you definitely have to pick up the phone <laughs> after <laughs> That's definitely something that I've learned is that if Raman calls, I I, I pick it up and I do whatever he says. So no, thank you, Raman. This is this is a great podcast, and 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 uh, you know it's been an honor to be on it. Uh, and best of luck to to everything that you're doing. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, it's really going to take off, and and I'm sure everybody in the industry uh, will be uh, waiting for for your podcast for for weeks on out. Thank you so much. Take care, Bobby. Okay. All right. Thank you, Raman. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to marketpod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.